Welcome back to Tanakhcast. This is episode 146. We'll begin and conclude the book of Tzfania with a brief summary of chapters 1 through 3 and some thoughts about Israel, warts, and all. Welcome to the ninth book in the book of 12, Tzfania. Of all the prophets we've heard from so far, no prophet has such an esteemed lineage as Tzephaniah. And the first verse of this book makes that evidently clear. The Chizkiah he refers to is that Chizkiah, the king, and the Yoshiah, during whose reign Tzephaniah is active, is the great-grandson of that Chizkiah. So, respect! But family connection does not spare Yoshiah from the wrath of the prophet. Chapter 1 spells out the sins of Judah and the wrath that is sure to come. Quote, I will stretch out my arm against Judah and against all who dwell in Jerusalem, and I will wipe out from this place every vestige of Baal and the name of the priestlings along with the priests. Oh, damn! And if history is any indication, the words the prophet were taken to heart by the king, as Yoshiah, who lived from 640 to 609 BCE, is well known for his initiation of a profound religious reform in 622, which we discussed in episode 87. These included uprooting all pagan worship from the kingdom that were introduced by his grandfather Menashe, and culminated with the renovation of the temple in Jerusalem. But in the meantime, quote, the great day of the Lord is approaching, approaching most swiftly. Hark, the day of the Lord. It is bitter. There a warrior shrieks. But we also get a little insight into the minds of the sinners who say to themselves, quote, the Lord will do nothing good or bad. They have some grounds for this take. Harken back to the reign of Tzephania's forebear Chizkiyahu, the righteous king who walked in the way of the Lord. He barely dodged disaster with Sancheriv and the Assyrian juggernaut. Miracle, yes. But many good people perished in that conflict. Contrast that with the reign of the quote-unquote wicked King Menashe. His reign was defined by years of peace and security. So maybe God doesn't make it rain or bring the sunshine. Tsefania wants to dissuade folks of that impression. Chapter 2 begins with the assassinant phrase, In other words, quote, gather together, gather. Zephaniah tells the people to look around and bear witness to the destruction befalling all the neighboring nations. Quote, Indeed, Gaza shall be deserted, and Ashkelon desolate. Ashdod's people shall be expelled in broad daylight, and Ekron shall be uprooted. This terrible fate will also extend out from Judah's immediate borders. Quote, you Cushites too. They shall be slain by my sword, and he will stretch out his arm against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolation, arid as the desert. Oh, damn! Chapter 3 concludes the book with its sights set on Jerusalem. Quote, Ah, sullied, polluted, overbearing city. She has been disobedient, has learned no lesson. She has not trusted in the Lord, has not drawn near to her God. But he won't wrap things on a down note. Sephania offers words of consolation. First, Jerusalem will be rehabilitated. Quote, Shout for joy, fair Zion. Cry aloud, O Israel. Rejoice and be glad with all your heart, fair Jerusalem. And second, all the external threats will be removed. Quote, at that time I will gather you, and at that time I will bring you home, for I will make you renowned and famous among all the peoples on earth, when I restore your fortunes before their very eyes, said the Lord. And on that upbeat note, here endeth the lesson.
this part of the episode is going to set people off despite all my best and most honorable intentions. What set me off or resonated with me was Stefania's peroration about the city of Jerusalem. But in a sense, it describes how many Israeli Jews and diaspora Jews alike feel about Jerusalem and the country whose capital it is, sullied, polluted, and overbearing. Yes, that's the first of many hot takes. Yes, Jerusalem is Israel's capital too. Have I lost you yet? You might want to hit stop now. I might hurt your feelings. Uh, When I wrote about Israel, the modern state, in my 2012 book, End of the Jews, I had five friends read over the chapter on disaffection before I handed it to my editor because I didn't want to get caught up in all the feels and inevitable angst and rage that comes when you say the word Israel. And I wasn't even writing about Israel, the politics, the situation. I was writing about what we talk about when we talk about Israel. I didn't stake a position. I was merely pointing out that Israel, a topic that used to rally and unify the community, is now so radioactive and wedgy that it's not surprising that the young folks are running in the opposite direction like it was the Temple of Jerusalem on fire. It's been six years since that book came out and the situation has not improved. It's only grown more toxic, more Manichaean, more you're with us or against us. And I have some thoughts as to how this happened and how it can be reversed. It won't make Israel any less sullied, polluted, and overbearing, but at least we can all agree about that because nobody's perfect and perhaps we can get on with things. So take a deep breath and gird your loins. Let's go back to 1996. It was Israel's first election after the assassination of Yitzhak Rabin at the hands of a right-wing zealot. We don't need to relitigate the weeks and months leading up to the assassination and who saw what from which balcony overlooking Zion Square. It was Shimon Peres's election to lose. He was Rabin's second-in-command, the dreamer to Rabin's pragmatist, the bridesmaid, never the bride. But here was his big chance. He could have ridden the memorial candles and tear and snot-soaked Kleenexes all the way to the Prime Minister's residence on Balfour Street. And for Israelis who went to sleep that Wednesday night, May 29, 1996, they were convinced that Rabin's partner would be their next Prime Minister and he would get a resounding mandate to continue the work Rabin started and advance the peace process. The polls showed Paris up by 20 points in the months leading up to the election, but it was steadily eroded by a series of suicide bomber attacks. And by mid-May, Paris's lead was down to six points. 48 hours before the polls opened, Paris was up by two. So when folks woke up on May 30th, it was Bibi, Benjamin Netanyahu, who won by the slimmest of margins, 50.5 to 49.5%, 29,457 votes decided the election. Bibi Netanyahu was prime minister for almost four years, and during what would become his first term, was punctuated by... In 2001, Bibi was boasting on video that he personally killed the Oslo peace process, and in the intervening years, he did. Prime Minister for 12.7 years. He's about 200 days shy of lapping David Ben-Gurion as the longest-serving Prime Minister of Israel. And like Ben-Gurion, who framed the fledgling state, Bibi has remade the state in his own image. Oh, 
Sex is about division, but usually there's at least the polite fiction of trying to create unity. Polarization can work as a winning political strategy. When Richard Nixon won over a deeply divided America in 1968, he claimed to want to unite the country, but he carefully pursued polarization at the same time. His vice president, Spiro Agnew, whipped up culture warriors pitting the real America against the liberal elite. Pat Buchanan, a Nixon speechwriter, explained in a 1971 memo, if we tear the country in half, we can pick up the bigger half. The current American president follows a similar strategy, but because of the electoral map, he doesn't care if he picks up the bigger half. He can maintain his hold on power. In Israel's complicated electoral system, Bibi doesn't need to pick up the bigger half of it. Many would like you to think that both sides of this dispute are equivalent. Israel's diaspora minister and Jewish Home Party member Naftali Bennett said as much. He told morning congregants at Pittsburgh's Tree of Life synagogue that the American president was not to blame for inspiring the massacre of their friends and loved ones, but it was the specter of anti-Semitism and that, quote, unfortunately, we hear it from right and left. Except when the smoke clears in America, the rhetoric, motor vehicles, and bullets seem to only be flying from the right. Israel and activist Linda Sarsour, individually and as part of the leadership of the Women's March, released numerous statements condemning Louis Farrakhan and anti-Semitism. One would think, considering how much Farrakhan has brought up these days, that he's somehow driving the progressive movement's agenda and that his brand of anti-Semitism taints everything that the Women's March does, except Farrakhan was never a progressive and his relevance peaked around the time of the Tamaguchi in the mid-1990s. But hey, why let facts get in the way of a good round of hurt feelings, especially when it comes to Linda Sarsour herself? She seems to trigger folks in such a profound way. Perhaps it's her accent. Even though time and time again, mainstream and even liberal Jewish leaders attack her, call her a terrorist enabler, her voice is one of the few who consistently calls out anti-Semitism and gives it no quarter. Never mind that she co-founded LaunchGood. Gabby? La 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 Gabby song. Yeah! <laughs> hey, Gordon! Hey, Gabby! So to wrap up. Though sullied, polluted, and overbearing, the modern state of Israel represents the culmination of thousands of years of yearning and hope and the dreams of our people who spent much of our history living as a suspect, persecuted minority. This being said, we can do better. We should do better. The prophets demanded it, and our tradition demands it as well. If you like what you heard today, spread the word about TanakhCast. Send a friend an email to say, Hey, would it kill you to check out TanakhCast? Or even better, write a brief review at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Smart Radio, or SoundCloud. It's a small thing, really, but it will help other people who might be interested in some Bible learning find this podcast. Or if you want to help in a bigger way, support us at Patreon. Just search for TanakhCast and pledge your shekels either on a one-time or monthly basis and receive special blessings from the Most High. I thank you in advance for that and encourage you to join us again in two weeks for episode 147 when we begin and complete the 10th book in the Book of Twelve with Haggai chapters 1 and 2.